Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in your day listening in. My name is CJ Depardine, and I am the host of Untapped Gold Mines. You can find this session as well as the other sessions on untappedgoldmines.com. And I'm super, super excited and incredibly grateful today to introduce you to somebody that you may already know. Um, and if you don't, this is going to be an incredible gift for you today, especially with all the things that are going on in our world. Uh, and I do want to call out the date because it's kind of important um, today, even though this will have a long shelf life and there will be tons of valuable information into uh, the future. It is right now, March 28th, 2020. And right now the world is dealing with COVID, the pandemic of the century, I think, um, or at least of the last couple decades. Yes, we hope. And I am here with Glenda Oyang from Human Systems Dynamic or HSD Institute. You can find that at HSD institute.org and the reason why i'm so incredibly grateful to have you glenda on the show today for all of the listeners is because your entire business everything that you do is in active service to helping people find their way forward in times of complexity. So I'm going to read out your bio to, to kick us off. So Glenda Oyang helps people thrive in the face of overwhelming complexity and uncertainty. She's a pioneer in the applications of complexity science to human systems. As the founding executive director of Human Systems Dynamics Institute, Glenda develops adaptive capacity in others so they see patterns and chaos that surround them. They understand the patterns in simple and powerful ways and take practical steps to shift chaos towards coherence. Glenda's published works include scholarly articles in variety of fields and radical rules for schools, coping with chaos, adaptive action, leveraging uncertainty in your organization. And I'm going to get back to that one. That is your book through Stanford Press. Uh, and there's an excerpt from the start of that book that I think is just so incredibly important for us to talk about today. Uh, all of Glenda's writings provide a roadmap for anyone who chooses to work at the intersection of order and chaos. Recent clients include the Finnish Research Institute, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, Oxfam International, Yukon Territorial Government, Catholic Charities, the Association for Medical Education in Europe. And the HSD network includes 800 scholar practitioners around the world in diverse sectors, including education, healthcare, business, government, and philanthropy. Her work relates to human systems at all scales and contexts, from individual health and wellness to performance evaluation and international patterns of leadership, sustainability, corruption, and conflict. Now, that's a lot. How did I do? And is there anything missing? Because you are so incredibly wonderful, and I don't want to leave anything out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, CJ. I think you covered the world. <laughs> I think you cover the world. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Glenda. I really appreciate this opportunity to share with listeners what you believe the untapped gold mines are that we can look at today. And so just before we jumped on that call, we did kind of isolate a couple of themes that we want to keep hitting home today. And that is hope and next steps. What are our options in this day where we are every day experiencing a new day and a new world and everything that we know is now very fundamentally different. Before we get into that and kind of get into the juicy details of that, I'm really curious to know how you got on this journey in the first place. What, what brought you here? and what, How did HSD come to life? Well, it's a great question. I'm really happy to be here, CJ, and, and hope that the people who are listening are in places where they can absorb and use what we're talking about because use is the point. Mm. So it's a very layered story about how I came to this work. It goes all the way back to um, growing up in the panhandle of Texas and moving around a lot and listening to the wind blow and then studying history and philosophy of science in a great books program reading Plato and reading Aristotle and then reading Einstein and everything in between to wow. see how 
the ideas of people seeing and understanding and influencing nature have evolved over time. And in 1986, I was an entrepreneur. I was doing training and documentation for computer systems mm. and building computer human interfaces and working in online training. And I had a company that was doing that and everything was just perfectly ordered. Yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> I worked like an engineer. I knew the steps. I knew what to do. It was a great waterfall method that we used, totally reliable. And then in a matter of six months, everything shifted. So my companies, my client companies went from mainframe to client server environments. My, uh, Two thirds of my staff um, became parents and shifted their lives entirely. Oh. The, um, the world was going global. People were concerned about quality and total quality management at that point, and everything was shifting. And so the processes and procedures that I had become to rely on in my successful company were no longer working. Right. And I was lost. I was ready to close down and go home. Um, go to the woods. Yeah. And at that point, I decided to take a little break away from all of that and read a book that I thought would be a nice escape book. A little nerdy, but an escape. And it was called Chaos Making a New Science by James Glick. Hmm. And it was the first really popular book about complexity science to be out in English. Um, and I thought I was going to escape into it. But the first chapter was about boundary conditions, mm. like where hot, wet air meets cold, dry air, and you get storms. Mm. And I realized that turbulence at boundaries had a lot to do with the challenges I had in my work. And the next one was about butterfly effects, where a small change could have an enormous outcome. And I thought, oh, that's what happened to that project. And then the next one was about patterns that repeat at scales across scales, fractals. And I thought, oh, that's what's happening in that client site and in that place and the transformations we're seeing. And so that book became a kind of roadmap for me at that time, in that place, in my business life, to see what was happening, to understand it in ways that were new and useful, and then to decide what to do in my leadership role to move things forward. And so since that time, I've been helping other people do the same. That's wonderful. And I've been in a few of your webinars and it is incredible how helpful you are. Um, I know that you did say, uh, you know, you're here to facilitate that sort of question, that inquiry process for people um, and not necessarily to give them the answers. And in this orderly world that we used to know, that was what many wanted was the answers. And now we're in a very disordered world a little bit where there are no easy answers. And so when you think about that transition that you made from this orderly business to identifying that, hey, some of the things that kind of started to happen to this business come from this place where things aren't so orderly. Um, obviously, that I'm assuming prompted you to then move into HSD and create HSD. Is that correct? Well, it was a few years before that happened. So I had, in 86, when I started doing this work, I couldn't find anyone else who was looking at the intersection of complexity in human systems. Mm. It wasn't until 91 that uh, a fellow named Mark Michaels held what he called the Chaos Network and brought together people around the world who were applying complexity to human systems. Mm. And that was when I first found that anyone else was doing this work. And it was uh, glorious. There were 40 of us in that space. And so each of us was taking a different path. I continued to do that work and then wrote my first book about it five years after that in 1996. And then I started a doctoral program, did research 
in my doctorate. And then we didn't really name human systems dynamics until at the end of my doctoral work. Mm. And then at that point, we decided to start the Institute and the Institute was started in 2003. Okay, excellent. Um, so it was a bit of an evolutionary process, never quite knowing what the next step would be, but always paying really close attention as we do to what the current pattern is and using that to inform the next step. Right. It's a bit of an arc, a bit of a journey. Right. used to be. Yes. And that brings me to an excerpt from Adaptive Action, Leveraging Uncertainty in Your Organization. So that was published through Stanford University Press in 2013. Yet I see the connection so clearly between what we're going through today and just this small excerpt that I've found in the uh, introduction to this book. Uh, so if I can read that out for our listeners, uh, I think it's very powerful and just a great testament to the fact that you could be one of the many solutions and maybe possibly one of the best solutions for some of our businesses today. We don't know what we don't know, um, but this excerpt just, it, it hits home so clearly for where we are today. So I'm going to read this out and this is from, um, actually I'm looking on the look inside in Amazon uh, for this and I did start listening to this and it was just so incredibly powerful. I just had to go to Amazon and go get the excerpt because uh, I'm listening to it on Audible and I've ordered the book, physical book, so that I can actually like highlight uh, inside the book as well because it's just that powerful. So in the excerpt it says, in a finite game it is easy to make sense. Everyone agrees on the goal. The rules are known and the field of play has clear boundaries. Baseball, football, and bridge are examples of finite games. At one time in the not-so-distant past, we expected careers, marriages, parenthood, education, and citizenship to be finite games. When everyone agrees on the rules and the consequences of our actions are undeniable, responsible people plan for what they want, take steps to achieve it, and enjoy the fruits of their labor. We know what it takes to make sense in a finite game. Most of us realize that we're playing a very different game. We are playing an infinite game in which the boundaries are unclear or non-existent. The scorecard is hidden and the goal is not to win, but to keep the game in play. There are still rules, but the rules can change without notice. There are still plans and playbooks, but many games are going on at the same time and the winning plans can seem contradictory. There are still partners and opponents, but it is hard to know who is who, and besides that, the who is who changes unexpectedly. Every day, the newspaper is full of examples of unexpected and sometimes unknowable developments. The mortgage markets tank. An interstate bridge across Mississippi River collapses. Youth in London turn into lawless mobs. Earthquakes hit Washington, D.C., and a tsunami state devastates Japan. And of course, today, COVID is across the entire globe and we're all dealing with it. In such a complex and unpredictable environment, important factors that shape the future are unknowable. Social, economic, climactic, and political changes erupt without warning. We can plan, but we expect our plans to go awry. We can work towards goals, but we understand that our work may be in vain. We experience unintended consequences that too often punish what should be reward, rewarded and reward what should be punished. We need new ways to make sense in complex organizations. As individuals and organizations, we need the capacity to adapt to the unexpected. We need adaptive action. Every day, forces we do not control reshape the landscapes of life in the 21st century. Not only are the rules changing of, of the game of life changing, but the game itself is being transformed. Not only are we playing a different game, but we are called upon to play many games at the same time. I just love this excerpt because it is so true of what we're going through today. We are playing 
many games at the exact same time. We have parents working from home with their toddlers that they cannot lock in a room and yet they have to work. Their toddlers are coming to sit on their laps or they're in the background. They're playing with their toys. They're calling for mommy and daddy. We have, you know, healthcare workers that have to be on the front lines and they may be single parents and daycares are closed. Like there's so many different games that we're playing right now. Mm-hmm. What does HSD bring to the table that provides the hope and the support, the tools that can help people playing these multiple games all at the same time today? Mm, CJ, it's a great question. And this idea of the finite and infinite isn't new with us. There was a fellow named Kars who in the mid-70s wrote a book about finite and infinite games. And he was looking at it from the perspective of a faith community. Mm. And then um, a dear mentor of mine, Donald Klein, wrote a book in the 80s about finite and infinite power. Mm. and how that plays into conflict and conflict resolution. And there's another book currently called Infinite Games where people talk about that distinction. So the distinction between finite and infinite, as powerful as it is, and I'll tell you the story sometime about how it came into our practice, but as powerful as it is, it's been around for a long time. What HSD adds to that history is a set of models and methods that help you know how to act in the infinite game. Mm. So if you know that you can't win, if you know that you, the rules are changing, then what can you do? And how can you take individual and collaborative action in a place where the future is unknowable? So that's the work that HSD does. It gives you a, an idea about how to be courageous in action. So I'd like to share with you about our new vision statement in HSD. In 2019, at the beginning of the year, we realized that we needed to begin to think about long-term sustainability and applications of human systems dynamics in a much broader range. So this was January 2019. We found that that journey of exploration, it was a strategic foresight process, did so much to prepare us for where we are now with COVID. We as a community learned a tremendous amount about how our capacity and our agility and our resilience developed and how we can sustain it for others. So it was an incredibly great preparation year. We thought we were preparing for decades hence. We did not know we were preparing for this month. Mm, You're right. (laughs) And so the vision that came from that time is this. People everywhere thrive because they see patterns clearly, because they seek to understand, and because they act with courage to transform turbulence and uncertainty into equitable possibility. Mm. So that's the work that we do, is given that people are in on new ground, in infinite games, in places and ways where the risk is enormous and the rules are non-existent. What's a careful, intelligent, respectable, responsible, caring individual to do? And that's the place that we provide particular ways to think and work. Right. And so there's quite a bit uh, in that statement, and I love the the last part about um, equitable. What was it? Equitable possibilities. Possibilities. Right. Transforming turbulence and uncertainty, which certainly we have much of today. Right. Into equitable possibilities. Many people in our community, CJ, have been saying, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, that in this moment of disruption. There is tremendous potential. Oh, yeah. Yes. Potential for good or ill. Mm-hmm. And so then the question becomes, how do we as individual players try to tip that system toward the good side? Right. How can we make the most of this moment 
in what way is this moment of crisis full of possibilities? Right. So let's talk about some of those possibilities because I do recognize that there are some people that are experiencing such disruption to their lives and their businesses that there is a belief that what they've known for years, what they've done for years is no longer going to be. But we're seeing businesses completely pivot and produce new products or find new ways to deliver their products or services that don't require a physical audience and transaction to take place. But what else are we seeing? What are some of these great possibilities that are coming out of this? Well, one of the things that we know for sure is that there's not one single possibility, right. but that each person, each organization, each neighborhood, each institution, each community has a set of possibilities that lie in it and with it. Right. And so the question is, how does each of those find their own unique journey toward a light and a possibility of future? And the, one of the, we have three core tools that we use hmm. to help people in that moment, people in institutions in that moment, make choices that are productive. The first is called adaptive action. And that's the name that we give to a very simple three-step problem-solving process, um, which has three questions. The first question is, what? So that question is about what is currently the case? What are you seeing? What do you know? Not what do you wish or what used to be or whatever, but in this moment, what is present? Mm -hmm. The second question is, so what? <laughs> so what does it mean? So what are the possibilities in this moment? So what are the tensions that are either holding the system forward or moving it forward? So what are the untapped resources? So what are the rules that need to change? So what are the possibilities that are emerging? So what is working and where is it working? So those are all the so what? questions so that you begin to make meaning of the patterns that are in this moment and to see them differently. Mm -hmm. And then the third question is, of course, now what? Right. <laughs> so given that understanding that you have, even though you know it's limited, even though you know it's only your perspective, even though you know that you do not know what the consequences are going to be, you still act you say, now what is the next wise action I can take? Given what I know, where I stand, the power that I have, what can I do? One little thing. Right. And then I do it. And we know that in complex adaptive systems, the patterns are patterns of patterns. They're highly interdependent, sensitive to initial conditions, sensitive to minor changes, linked so that a small change here can be an avalanche somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I may do my little thing. And without my knowing it, it may cascade into something for someone else in some other place far away. Right. So when I do something, the world changes. And so I just start over again. What is it now? <laughs> right. So what does that mean? Now what am I going to do? And then I take an action. And then what, so what, now what, again and again. And I can do it immediately. I mean, how many times have you done that since we started our chat today? Right. <laughs> right. And it can also be a massive long-term transformation. So we use adaptive action in what we call strategic foresight and strategic action um, and strategic frameworks mm -hmm. rather than a strategic plan that's a list of things that you have to do into the future a strategic framework builds the context in which you do your adaptive action right and so they can be long and short i can do it individually i can do it with a partner i can do it as a family we can do it as an industry 
And so each of those levels allows you to move forward. So you can imagine little wheels of adaptive action with individuals everywhere and then coming together in groups and then groups of groups mm-hmm. and emerging over time. That's why I think the, this work that you're doing now is so important because you're finding the hidden value, the hidden possibilities in all of the patterns that currently exist. So when someone comes and listens to your interviews, then they open a possibility of looking around themselves and doing their own adaptive action to see, oh, there is in this moment a resource I had not seen or used. Mm-hmm. So what are its possibilities? Now what can I do to leverage that resource and make a big difference in the future? And that's what I see as the work that you're doing in the world with Thank this you. series. And each of us is finding ways to do it. So many mm-hmm. people I've talked to since we've all been aware of and responding to the COVID-19 crisis, each of us wants to make a difference. Absolutely. We want to know what to do. And you see all these lists of blogs and things coming out. These are the five things you should do or the 10 things you should do, or these are the six things that a good parent does or whatever. (laughs) Those aren't bad, but they're not enough because any individual person and any place, those aren't fit for function for them. If they're not able to take those five into their own adaptive action cycles and find next wise actions that work for them, then it's just a way to spend 15 minutes. It's not going to make a difference. Right. But if those pieces become new patterns in the what, or become new ways to think about a so what, or new options for action, then each person consumes and digests and co-creates what's next, and then their actions are different. So that's why the work that we're doing these days is asking questions. Right. And it sounds like you're also, every weekday, you've got a group of people that you're getting together with who get to bring their wicked problems and these, you know, questions that they're asking Mm -hmm. and ask or seek more questions out from people so that they can look at what and so what and now what from a much more expanded lens. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because we do have limited views because they're based on our backgrounds and our experiences, our learned behaviors, our personality types, and these dynamics that make each and every one of us unique, but yet it's unique to us and it creates our own lens that we look through. Whereas, What you are proposing, as far as I can tell, is let's expand your view and let's give you the space in which to do that so that you're not alone in trying to figure out how to expand, but you're given the safe space to do it. And you can do with the expanded perspectives however you like. But you should take that one action and say, I'm going to do something now with this. Yes. And whatever that might be, it's kind of an experiment. Right. So this, this practice that we have, that we do every weekday morning for 30 minutes, 20 minutes, we invite healthcare professionals particularly to join us online with a wicked problem. One person shares that wicked problem. And then everyone who's on the line asks questions that are not answered. But the person with the wicked issue hears the questions, shifts perspective, sees another possibility. Sometimes they want to defend about why they're doing what they do, but they aren't allowed to defend. They just listen. And what happens in that process is that people begin to see patterns in a different way Mm -hmm. in in regular time it's really great that we have habits habits of thought and action because then we can do things easily without spending much energy and we we develop in response to our wicked issues stories that we really like 
right. uh, that explain why it's such a wicked issue and why I can't do anything about it. Right. And we call that ever and always voice. And so when we've lived with a wicked issue, we should probably define wicked issue. Um, when we've lived with one for a long time, then we have a whole narrative that has developed around it. And we fall in love with the story and we find other people who agree with that story. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then right. it gets better every time I tell it. But those stories are not useful because if they were useful, the issue would be solved. Correct. It's a story that locks you into a hopeless place. And so the question is, how do you challenge that? Now, let me define what we mean by wicked issue. It's something very specific. A wicked issue is one that comes out of a complex self-organizing space where there are lots of players, lots of perspectives, much interdependency, it exists at many, multiple scales, and the causality in it is nonlinear. The system is open, and there are lots of variables. Mm. And that kind of a problem cannot be solved, will never be solved. The classic examples of wicked issue are things like poverty or mm. social justice. That if we think of poverty is a problem we say oh it's about education so we'll invest in schools and we think that will solve this problem but it doesn't right or if we think that poverty is a problem of economics then we solve that problem by investing in small business or building an economic structure and that doesn't solve it either right. so this is one of the characteristics of complex wicked problems is that however you look at it depend determines what you're going to do mm -hmm. try to fix it and that none of those is sufficient right um so that's a wicked problem now if you can't solve it what can you do do you give up do you fight with other people no 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 poverty is a an educational problem it is not an economics problem or no, no, no. Poverty is an economics problem. It's not an education problem. Let's spend a lot of time arguing about what kind of problem it is when it's not a problem at all. It's a pattern. Right. And so to be able to say in that pattern, what can we do? The answer is adaptive action. From wherever you're standing, you look at poverty and you see a pattern. Now, maybe because I live in a suburb in the Midwest, the pattern of poverty that I see are people who drive good cars and dress well, but are sleeping in those cars and eating at food banks. You can't tell, see them walking down the street. You don't know that they're poverty stricken. Mm. That's the pattern of poverty in the place where I live. The pattern of poverty where you live is very different. Someone else, someone else. Oh, yes. If we I'm going to take tent action. cities everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and even within the tent city there are the more and the less poverty stricken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how do you see that pattern in a really rich way that might allow you to take some useful action? Right. And so when we say wicked issue, that's what we mean. And this is one of the reasons why COVID is such a, a shock for us is because it is wicked. Mm -hmm. It requires me to isolate myself. It requires the government well, we won't talk about that. It, requir <laughs> it requires allocation of resources. It right. requires bringing resources up. It requires uh, workforce. It requires facilities. It requires all of those different things. And each of us has a responsibility based on wherever we're standing to do the adaptive action that we can do. Right. And that's a wonderful point especially in a time like this, we are seeing, and on your last webinar, I saw it very clearly, there are many people right now really looking within and saying, what can I do to deal? And it's, it's heartwarming and it's, you know, goosebump making to see and know and hear that so many of us are going to this place where back to basics is the only thing we can do like 
giving our family members that we are not isolating from a hug just to say, thank you for being here and thank you for being well. And thank you for, you know, just understanding that I'm dealing with something and my hug in return is to know that you're dealing with something and we're looking at our gardens and watching the flowers blossom and we're looking at the sky and the nature and and bringing in all the colors and listening to the birds and saying like Mm -hmm. this is life Mm -hmm. the planet is new to us i think because we've got so far along the path in just doing and being Mm -hmm. and functioning and in a very orderly ritualistic habitual way Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. now order ritual and habit are being redefined every single day yeah i think that's true and one of the risks that i see coming in the future i'm not seeing it yet but many of us still see covid as a problem Right. And we expect the thing that things that we do or that the government does to fix it. Right. We think it's going to be solved. And my fear is that when people realize it won't be solved, they'll give up. Mm. And if they can now realize that it's a pattern that we're shifting and every little shift of the pattern is a contribution and that it's not going to be solved, but that we can make a difference, that if we can take that stance, then there's never a reason to give up. Right. But my fear is that many of us who are contributing now are thinking we're contributing to a solution. Mm. And that when we realize, no, it's not, not yet solved, we'll tire of that energy right. and tire of each other. And so one of my passions now is to help people recognize the nature of the work that we're doing, the nature of the contributions that we're making are not toward a solution they are towards shifting the pattern so that it's more healthy more well-being more uh, coherent more harmonious more meaningful and that every moment in every action we can recreate that pattern right but we never solve the COVID problem right and that's highly probable right and we're we were talking earlier about many possibilities in the so what there are men and even in the what and the now what there's many possibilities (laughs) and old problem solving methods may no longer work for us right resilience isn't anymore about returning back to normal it's about shifting the pattern in the moment every moment as far as i can tell from what you're saying and the simple rules allow individuals to make local particular decisions and still contribute to an adaptive systemic whole within their own environment. So it's now about our space and our needs. It's very situationally and independently concentrated now. And so you provide so many incredible tools and ways for individuals to make those shifts. So you spoke about adaptive action and you said that there were two other things that you do at HSD to help people in times like these. Can you tell us about some of those? Yes, indeed. So the other two are ways to do and to feed into adaptive action. So one of them is pattern logic. Mm. And we have lots of tools about how to see patterns. We're accustomed to seeing objects and interactions but that's not a robust way to see in an infinite game. So we have lots of ways to see patterns, different tools. So one, for example, asks about truth. Are we thinking about a subject of truth or a normative truth that's shared, or are we looking at an object of truth of data? We may ask, is this something that's known or unknown or unknowable? We may ask if something is stable or unstable or emergent. We may ask if something is 
living in theory or in practice. We may ask what the tension is that's being held. So we have lots of different tools that help us see patterns in ways that are useful. And that's pattern logic. So pattern logic says there's certain conditions that determine the path for self-organizing complex processes. Mm -hmm. There are conditions that set that. And if you can use a filter or a tool, a model, to see through that pattern, then you have options for action. So it helps inform choices. So pattern logic is one. And the third, you won't be surprised, is inquiry. Hmm. Is to be able to stand in inquiry so that rather than depending on what I knew or what I think I know, I'm looking at the world and seeing what the world can bring to me in terms of new information and new insight. So those are the three legs of the three-legged human systems dynamics tools. Right. Adaptive action, pattern logic, and inquiry. And we have probably, I think, 35 now different tools and approaches that we use to help people do those three things in ways that are simple. That's the most important thing. It's got to be simple. Right. And useful. Right. And adaptable to whatever situation is coming up. Yes. Simple, useful, and adaptable. And that word adaptable is so important. We've come through this space where organizations were going agile. They were doing digital transformations. And it was all about being more adaptable as an organization. And enabling more self-organization so that people could spend more time in inquiry with self, with product, with others, um, and make, you know, adaptive action take place. And it's not the be all and end all. And there are some parts of organizations that, you know, felt like they couldn't go there, but now we're in a state where, you might have to go there and it may not be agile. It may just be adaptive, right? And it may be inquiry based and it will kind of close that feedback loop, right? Yes, indeed. Um, Agile software development is a perfect example of the kinds of things that we do in human systems dynamics. And one thing that we recognize for sure is that not everything should be the same level of adaptive. So in a healthy body, I've got bones that aren't all that adaptive, and I've got muscles that are kind of adaptive, and then I have heart rate and brain waves that are somewhat chaotic, right? Um, And that's a healthy body. I've got to have something that's stable, that holds the the center. I have to have things that are somewhat adaptive and adjusting. And then I have to have some things that are just like random noise in the system. And so one of the things that we do about patterns, and we do this a lot with groups who are doing agile, because agile privileges and gives a special position to things that are changeable. Mm -hmm. And in organizations, when you talk to accountants about that, that does not make them happy. Right. <laughs> right. And to some extent, it wouldn't make me happy either. I want my paycheck on time. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want to be adapting the date of my paycheck. <laughs> right. So to know and to ask the question, is this something that should be stable and relatively immovable? Or is this something that needs to be flexible and moving? Or is this something that really is right to be random and the moment comes? And so that you have different interventions with different speeds and kinds of um, influence, depending on which is fit for function, we say. What's fit for function? And I think many who are experts in the agile world are able to do that. Mm. Sometimes they do it intuitively. Mm-hmm. They know the stable places to encourage. And so that ability to say, yes, there are all these different things in the pattern. They're all good in some contexts. Right. So how do we match our intervention to the current situation and what's needed in this moment? That's what you do in the so what step. Right. 
and it's constantly evolving. That's the thing. And like you said before, when one individual or agent now acts within the system and reacts or prompts a shift or a change, it can have a ripple effect. And we are regularly experiencing these ripple effects. So I love that you said that what HSD is now passionate about and trying to do is shift the perspective to see in the now and to adapt in the now and inquire in the now so that that hope stays constant and that we're looking for the beauty and the positivity of the now instead of saying, well, I had these ginormous goals for the organization that I'm no longer going to achieve. You know, what do I do? Instead of that viewpoint, you're asking what can be done Mm -hmm. instead of giving up. And I love that. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. We've been working, and I'll just tell a little story. We've been working with uh, a county that's northwest of London, and it's one of the poorest, one of the six poorest areas in the EU. Um, And the county government is working on poverty and has been for many years. And they're now, and I saw poverty as a problem to solve. And so each of them was working on the poverty problem. Many, many different parts of the government, everybody was working. They had for many decades worked on the problem of poverty. And when we went to them, when they came to us and said, what if we think about poverty as a pattern instead of a problem? One of the first things they saw was how that released their tension. Mm -hmm. that's not a problem I have to solve you have to solve we have to solve it'll never be solved that instead I could say wait a minute wait a minute what is happening and what are our options for really making a difference for this family or this neighborhood or this place and so that release for those gifted experts committed public servants opened up a possibility for them to be able to come together and work together in new ways And that, I think, is that tipping point for hope. Right. I love that. That's so wonderful. So I know that you have a number of incredible resources on your website at hsdinstitute.org. I know that you also run a number of regular webinars, some that are for paid um, enrollments and others that are free to public. So If a listener wants to follow you into this new journey of hope and seeing the patterns around them and developing the inquiry they want and leaning into adaptive action and creating a better tomorrow every day as opposed to mapping it out in a strategic plan and that is tomorrow. It's creating a better tomorrow every day or a better day today even how and where should we point them where would be the best place for them to start and the ways in which they can interact with you every day to tap into that poetic beauty that I saw at my first interaction with you in your webinars it's wonderful really to have you in this world and to have you supporting this new shift to hope oh thank you so There's a kind of ladder of involvement in HSD. The first step is that we have monthly free webinars that we call live virtual workshops. And you can find out about them in the opportunities space. They're on Thursdays, once a month, about a variety of topics. The next one is about risk and reward in the world of uncertainty. Mm. And that's this coming Thursday. So that's the first thing. An hour. Those are recorded and they're held on the website. And so there are lots of them there. That's the first step. The second step is that we do what we call adaptive action labs online. And these are two three hour sessions focused on particular topics. So one that was just finished was about facilitation. The next one will be about coaching. We've done ones about managing change and about leadership. And so those are paid uh, online engagements that are 
that give you an opportunity to dive into adaptive action on a particular topic. Then the next scale is human systems dynamics professional certification. And that is, if we do it face-to-face, -face, it's a five-day face-to-face session, and then four months of practice where you get peer support, additional resources, conversations, large and small conversations online for four months. We are now also offering virtual certification trainings uh, where there are longer online sessions and then setting up for the four months of practice. So those are all open sessions where people are invited to engage. There are all other um, sessions that we're beginning. For example, there's one on leadership for nonprofits, leading a nonprofit in uncertainty that we're going to be starting uh, at the end of April. Um, the 28th, I think, is when it begins. It's sponsored by a nonprofit foundation um, that supports nonprofit development. And so we have other things that are coming up at various times. When we say adaptive action laboratory, what we mean is that each person brings their wicked issue and we teach models and methods and tools and they do adaptive action during the session with us and leave with next wise action. Mm. So it's kind of halfway between training and consulting. Oh, I like that. So that people are working on their own issues, applying the work right away, solving a current issue, or not solving, but shifting right. a current pattern, right. <laughs> um, building the capacity to shift other patterns, and building relationships with others who are in the same place. So those are all open adaptive action labs that we do. We also do adaptive action labs that are customized for a particular team or a particular group. So week before last, I was in Washington with the public health division in Wisconsin. And we had planned this adaptive action lab last year to come and help them with their strategy and their planning. And it, of course, by the time I got there, they had COVID cases. Mm. And so we spent the day in COVID adaptive action lab with each person wherever they were in the public health system saying this is my wicked issue about COVID. Right. So what does that mean now? What can I do? And so that was a very customized adaptive action process. So we, we also do that uh, for individuals or groups, institutions that have shared issues. We'll bring people together to work together in adaptive action lab. So all of those things are listed on the opportunities page on our website. Excellent. The one day, one time, uh, live virtual workshops, the adaptive action labs online, and the opportunity to have a customized adaptive action lab that is structured and focused on your particular wicked issues. Excellent. I love that. And there's just so many wonderful opportunities for people to lean in and find Ways forward. I'm not going to refer to them as solutions today. <laughs> ways, um, ways forward is good. There, <laughs> there are also some other, um, there's work that we're doing that's particularly COVID-based mm. that I'd like just to say a little bit about. Absolutely. Um, one is particularly focused for healthcare professionals, and that's the 20 minutes every weekday Someone comes and brings an issue. You mentioned it earlier. Someone comes and brings an issue. Everyone asks questions. That person goes away with new insight and possible actions. We're doing that every weekday. And then we've also started sessions really to help people build the internal capacity for being present. So we're collaborating with uh, uh, somatic, gifted, uh, meditation practitioner for weekly sessions, one hour. There are, we call them our Sunday Zooms. Hmm. Opportunities for people just to come together in a shared space, to breathe, to be in inquiry together, to share perspectives, and to do uh, also physical as well as emotional and practical approach to change. So we have one of those for the 
for the Western Hemisphere, one for the Eastern Hemisphere, to get the time right, and we have one in Spanish. So we're doing those every Sunday um, to be able to bring folks into that space. So those are just, they're periodic things that we're doing these days just to give people a chance to center. So it is a lot. It makes me sound tired to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I mean, the, the best part is there's something, I think, for everybody. And if we center this conversation a little bit on that idea of hope, there is hope available to everybody through HSD, through the communities that come out of HSD, and through the tools and resources. So I just want to reiterate some of the tools that you spoke about today. So we've got adaptive action and these adaptive action labs. Um, pattern logic. So how do you kind of pull through to that adaptive action? How do you take that action by looking at the patterns and then inquiry? Did I say those correctly? You said that very well. You said okay. that very well. And I, I wonder if we have just a moment more. There's something that's Absolutely. been um, arising recently in the patterns that we see. Um, in the COVID crisis, and that is grief. Mm -hmm. So how do we individually as families or as, as a culture really hold the kind of grief and sadness that is going to come mm -hmm. already arriving for some of us and certainly will be a part of this experience forever? Um, we have a group of people within our network who work with what they call patterns with death. Mm. And what they do that was begun by a fellow who um, had a terminal brain cancer and people who had lost loved ones to in various ways. And thinking and talking about death from a pattern logic perspective, so that a life is a pattern of interaction that personal health is a pattern of balance and wellness. In fact, the fellow who started this movement within our work said, what I'm looking for is uh, wellness when a cure isn't possible. Mm. How can I find health when a cure is not possible? And he found that in patterns. And so we have this conversation that's been moving forward for the last couple of years about how do you think about the passage from life to death and the patterns of life that are led and family and nature and physical health and what persists when that person is gone from this world? How do those patterns persist and how do they continue to be in our lives in so many ways? And so we're hoping that that form of adaptive action will be a way to heal when a cure for COVID is not going to be possible for a long time. Right. So I just want to offer that to people who are listening and to say, as the, as the grief begins to grow for you or you become more aware of it, please think about the pattern and the possibility that lie in this life transition. Right. I love that. Can I clarify one thing? When you ask somebody to think about the patterns, what is, what are they looking for? Mm. So somebody does not know pattern logic. They haven't been there and they haven't yet digested everything on hsdinstitute.org. Mm. Where do they start if they're doing this today? Yeah. So a pattern for us is three things, and that's what you look for. So the first thing is, it's the boundaries. So you think about what are the units of existence that are the pattern. So it's about my body. That's one of the circles. It's about my family. Right. Michael, would go, Michael would go sit on the banks of the Mississippi River, and one of the patterns that he held was the natural pattern there. And he was a member of a... Um, Quaker society and he would talk about that so you ask yourself what are the circles that are important to me that's the first piece right 
The second piece is difference. So within each of those circles, what are the differences that make a difference? Right. Right. So in my family, age is a difference that makes a difference. Interest, perspective, capacity to understand, ability to shift. What are the differences that make a difference? I thought about that when you talked about people being on uh, webinars and their kids are playing in the background, right? <laughs> right. So you've right. got your family circle and the differences there are, are they getting along? Are they doing what they need to do? Are they doing their schoolwork, right? Right. Different ages and perspectives. And then there's the work, work circle, which has a different set of differences that matter. Mm -hmm. So that's the second thing. What are the differences that make a difference within each of those circles? And the third aspect of pattern is how are things connected to each other? What's flowing? Right. What's connected? What's moving? What's moving from one place to another? What's being raised in a relationship? The flow of resources, talk, touch. And so those are the three things. So what are the boundaries? We call them containers. What are the differences that make a difference? And what are the connections? We call them exchanges. And that those are the definitions of pattern and shifting them is also the way you shift pattern. Right. That's beautiful. So if I'm understanding correctly and your container differences exchanges model, you refer to as the CDE model, right? If I am leaving, you know, the, the podcast or video or, you know, replay of this today. And I'm saying I've recently lost or I know I'm going to lose somebody to COVID. And I now want to shift my perspective to celebrate this person. I can start looking at these containers of their life and all that made them who they are. Because it's not just one thing. They are not just my father or my brother or you know, my coworker, they are all those things to somebody somewhere. And each of those is a container. Is that correct? <laughs> and our differences are all the exchanges or the, the different things that happen to that individual within each of those containers. And the things that made that person unique. Right. Right. Because as a father, you're different than you might be as a employee, an executive or whatever. You're, you're very unique in each of those roles. Right. And then the exchanges are who, what, how, and the energy and the stories and the beauty that kind of unfolded with those containers and these unique differences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm understanding correctly. You are indeed. And I can okay. give a real concrete example. Okay. Um, when, when my husband died about 10 years ago, um, my first focus was on his last bit of illness, where we were, what was happening, what I might have done differently, what he did differently, who was in that space. And so the hospital room and hospice was the pattern that I saw and, right. and tried to come to terms with. And then I began to see our relationship through time and I started to focus on the moments in our 32 year marriage when things shifted or when I saw something new or some delight that had happened and so that was another pattern that I was aware of his family was yet another and the day that we had um, this was this was really funny the day that we had his memorial people started showing up I didn't know and there were lots of them it wasn't a large uh, you know, it was in the house. It was kind of a party and people kept showing up that I didn't know. And it turned out that my husband, who was retired, had built all of these lovely relationships with people in the neighborhood. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and you so didn't all know. of these people, I didn't know. I didn't know the people. I didn't know about the relationships. I didn't, I, I travel a lot, so I'm not right. very connected in the neighborhood. And it was just so lovely to see that there was this pattern that John had moved into that I had no, no idea about. And so my experience of him and our life together is really, um, is a continuation of those patterns. Mm. And a continuing evolution of those patterns over time. And so he's very present and in many ways still present in my life. Right. Because I can see him and think of him and relate to him as 
the pattern that he held and continues to hold for me. And so it's that way that he persists. Right. And what a great way to define celebrating one's life, right? Mm -hmm. Is really attaching to those patterns and saying, you know, who was this individual and how did they permeate my life and exchange with me and my life and create differences for me. And we all have so many of those stories and experiences. So that's wonderful. Yeah. I thank you so much for all of this. This has been absolutely fabulous. And I know we could probably talk for days yes, on end about so many of the topics that we brought up today. Um, one last question that I love to ask is what else do we need to know? What else do we need to think about in this world? And it's a very ambiguous question for mm. all the right reasons, but is what else should we think about? And I'll hold that in the container of hope. Mm. I, I think that I was answering that question when I talked about patterns with death. Perfect. Perfect. You're right. You absolutely were. So we'll, we'll hold it there. We'll hold that space. Uh, and again, I thank you so very much. I will put all the links to your books and the articles that I can find that we've referenced, your opportunities and resources on your website, and uh, share all of this on untappedgoldmines.com. I will also be posting across and distributing across the net in various ways, the podcast, video recording, and so on. So thank you so much, Glenda, on behalf of myself and the listeners. I know this has been a fabulous conversation and I thank you for taking that time and that space and I appreciate you very much. You are most welcome and thank you for this opportunity and all the work you do. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. Bye for now. Bye-bye.